you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrantz, palbociclib. Ibrantz 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrantz and visit Ibrantz.com. Ibrantz may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrantz may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrantz, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Erica Alexander. And I'm Whitney Dow. Welcome to Reparations, The Big Payback production of Color Farm Media, iHeartRadio, and the Black Effect Podcast Network. Step right up, hurry, hurry, step right up. The show's about to begin. Wait, I'm not ready. Ah, it's a trick question. No one is ready for a discussion about institutional racism, at least no one who's benefited from it. Institutional racism. Okay, okay, I'm getting ready. I'm your friendly host and guide, Mr. Tambo. I'm here to spill all the freaky tea. And coming to the stage, put your hands together for the ever-lovely Mr. Interlocutor. Who? Is that who I am? I mean, I don't know what to say. Don't worry. I'll be doing most of the labor up in this piece, as usual, as we present the Freak Show. See corporate American profits and the staggering wealth of America as a whole as the legacy of slavery. Oh. Yes, it's the freak show. See powerful educational institutions founded on slave money. It's freaky. Oh, slave money. Got it. Keep up, son. See eerie echoes of slavery and modern-day labor practices. I'm talking about tipping. It's freaky-deaky. Are you even following me? So, you're talking about a critical view of some key American institutions through the lens of contemporary racialized perspective, tracing through lines of slavery and the perverse and ongoing control of black bodies all the way up to and including power structures of the present day? Wow. Oh, you changed on me. 
baby. Just trying to keep the customer satisfied, Mr. Tambo. That's the spirit. Step right up, folks. What's our first exhibit? Our first exhibit is truly, truly freaky. It concerns one of America's oldest educational institutions, located on the Potomac River in the beating heart of our fine nation's capital. Bill Clinton went to school there, and actor bro dude Bradley Cooper did too. They're the Hoyas. They've got lots of lawyers. I'm talking about Georgetown University. Georgetown? I had them in the final four. Yes, sir, Mr. Interlocutor. They're famous, and they're famously well-endowed, if you know what I mean. Wait, what? But it wasn't always that way, and therein lies the tale. For our first exhibit, we spoke to Georgetown professor Adam Rothman of the school's working group on slavery, memory, and reconciliation. There's a couple ways of thinking about Georgetown's relationship to slavery, one over the long term and then one having to do with an immediate moment in time. In the long term, Georgetown was founded by a Catholic elite that derived its wealth and status from slavery. The original model for the university was that the education of white boys and men would actually be subsidized by slave labor on plantations in Maryland that had been owned by the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits. And Georgetown itself was also a site of slave labor, and slave people worked on campus. Students actually brought slaves to campus and uh, hired them out to the university to pay off their fees. The university hired enslaved people from local owners to do odd jobs around the university. So in a lot of ways, the university was really intricately tied to slavery. But the real existential moment of connection comes in the 1830s. It turns out that the plantations that were run by the Jesuits were actually not profitable. And so for 20 years, the Jesuits they had a debate, really, about what to do about their human property. They owned nearly 300 people the Jesuit leadership came to the conclusion that they should sell off virtually the entire community of people that they owned. So they did that. In 1838, they sold 272 people to two buyers in Louisiana for $115,000. And they took the initial down payment from that sale of about $25,000, and they used it to pay off the crushing debt that the college had accrued. Without that sale, without the proceeds from the sale of those people, you know, it's not clear that the university would have survived. And that's why I say that Georgetown owes its very existence to slavery. There are thousands of living descendants of the GU-272 has also completely changed the conversation about the meaning of this history. Because now we have actual, we have people living today whose own families were touched by this trauma of sale and forced transportation to the Deep South. And their lives were shaped by this experience in ways they didn't even know before the revelations of this history came out. I mean, the descendant community itself had lots of ideas about how the university should reconcile with its history. And all of a sudden, the conversation was not just an internal conversation at the university. There was an outside partner who had been wronged, who wanted a voice in the conversation. So those conversations have been going on for some time. There have been some things that have gone on, like in April of 2017, there was a big service at Georgetown where both the president of Georgetown and the head of the North American Jesuits apologized in the presence of members of the descendant community for their roles in the history of slavery and in the trauma of the sale, the sin of the sale. That was the language they used. But since then, I think it's been slow going. 
There have been conversations between the university and Jesuit leadership and leadership of the descendant community about how to move forward. It's hard to wait for those conversations to play out. So last spring, undergraduate students at Georgetown organized a student referendum to enact a student fee, an activity fee of $27.20 a semester that would pay for a reconciliation fund to support programs that would benefit the GU-272 descendant community. It was an amazing thing to watch on campus. In the end, the students voted overwhelmingly to support the student activity fee. It was the highest turnout for a student referendum in Georgetown's history. So it was a an overwhelming victory for the advocates for what was effectively a, a novel scheme of reparations. The GU-272 was sold for $115,000 in 1838, which is the equivalent of about $3 million in today's money. The student proposal would have raised about $400,000 a semester. So in five years, that fee would raise basically the equivalent of the amount of the sale. But when we start talking numbers like that, that's where it gets tricky, both in terms of how you actually calculate the present value of what enslaved people contributed to Georgetown University. And beyond that, the question about whether you can actually put a price, whether you can actually put any kind of number on the value of what is owed to the descendants of enslaved people. I know members of the descendant community themselves who actually object to monetary reparations because they object to the idea of putting a price on the value of their ancestors' life and labor. I can't design a program of reparations myself as a white historian, but I can say, and this is I think what's happened in Georgia, and I can say, look, here's the documentation of what actually happened. Think about this. Reflect on it. And it might move you. So there are a lot of harms to slavery. The robbery of the fruits of people's labor was one of them, but another one was just the denial of history and the separation of families. We saw that in the 1838 sale, but one of the things I think has happened with the recovery of this history is that people have learned more about their own families and that psychic trauma of the suppression of history that came with slavery, that at least has been pried apart a little bit. And that, I think, is by no means a full reparation by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a step towards understanding. And I think that's important. Adam Rothman, Georgetown professor and Twitter ninja. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well... We had time to see all the animals. Whoa! (laughs) And outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrantz, Palpocyclib. Ibrantz 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrantz and visit Ibrantz.com. Ibrantz may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrantz may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. 
Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrands, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. What's our next exhibit? Would that be Exhibit B? Actually, that would be Exhibit D. D for Desmond Mead. He's a voting rights activist who led the successful fight to pass Florida Amendment 4, a 2018 initiative that restored voting rights to over 1.4 million Floridians with previous felony convictions. He's one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in 2019. That's pretty freaky right there. What's truly freaky, though, is how hard the Republicans, including DeSantis, the governor, are pushing back. It's because they recognize the policing and control of black bodies into prison and out of prison, the denial of full citizenship after prison, is a building block of white supremacy. And white supremacy will not give up without a fight. White supremacy is the freak show. Freaky deaky. Told you. When I was convicted of a felony offense, I lost my civil rights, which meant I lost the right to vote, the right to serve on the jury, the right to run for office. And then there are other collateral consequences that are associated with the loss of civil rights. When we passed Amendment 4, what Amendment 4 dealt with was was the right to vote. And so when we passed Amendment 4, I got the right to vote back, right? But my civil rights haven't been restored. And so what that meant was that even though I got the right to vote back and even though I graduated from law school with a law degree, right, and I made the dean's list my last year, I still can't practice law because I can't apply to the Florida bar to take the bar exam until my civil rights have been restored. What that means is even though I've had a very successful career, I can't even buy or rent a home in a lot of places in Florida because my civil rights have not been restored. And so the restoration of civil rights impact employment opportunities as well as housing opportunities. And so what this policy change did was allow people to have their civil rights restored along with their voting rights, even though it's all like a package deal now. And folks now have more opportunities to buy and rent homes, they have more opportunities to get occupational licenses, get a much better paying job and be able to provide for their family. So let me tell you, and that is impacting 
everyone of the 1.4 million that benefited from the passing of Amendment 4 have an opportunity to have their civil rights restored. I am so grateful that God has chosen me to be a part of this process to make that happen. And I'm honored. You know, one of the stories that I like to tell is one day slave master awakens and hear that, wait a minute, those same people who you didn't think was even a whole of a man and families you've destroyed and murdered and beaten the flesh off their bone, those same people that you spat on now have just as much right as you do. And not only do they have the same rights as you do, they started exercising those rights. And the same people that you had your foot on their neck for more than eight minutes and 46 seconds are now becoming judges and sheriffs and congressmen and having authority over you. And that was a scary sight. And so mass incarceration was the fallback to where, okay, well, why don't we create these laws that would criminalize things that newly freed slaves would do in doing so, then we're able to grab them and arrest them and convict them. And while we convict them, we're going to strip them away of this new right that they have to vote, right, and to serve on jury and and to run for office. And then we're going to take them and we're going to throw them back into the cage that reminds them of the ships that they were brought over from uh, when we brought them over from Africa. And then when we get ready, we can take them out of those cages and check it out, outsource them as prison labor right back into the same fields in which they was liberated from. And then for those that we're not able to capture like that, we're going to use the same folks that are once called slave patrols, that but they have evolved into what? Police, Right. We're going to use those same folks to exact state-sanctioned violence, to intimidate and threaten and arrest who we can and kill who we can and hang who we can and burn who we can to drive home a point that you do not deserve to be treated with dignity and respect, that you are underneath us and you will not participate in our elections. You will not have a say in how this country is ran because you're not our equal. The driving force was the combining of slave patrols, which is police, with our incarceration and judicial system. And together you have a system that not only terrorizes you on the streets, but it is designed to capture you and incarcerate you and enslave you in prison. You know, even though the private prison industry is a small portion of this prison industrial complex system, what we do recognize is that there is an ecosystem that profits off of the bondage of people of color. You see it in immigration detention, and of course you see it in our criminal legal system. The wealth that's in this country is directly related to the profit that was made off of the backs of our ancestors that was stolen from Africa. So how do we get folks to understand that reparations is not robbing Peter to pay Paul. Reparations is righting an injustice that would end up benefiting all parties involved. Say, Mr. Tambo. Yes, Mr. Interlocutor. I'm beginning to get the impression that reparations is about far more than just slavery. Ooh, go, go on. That, in fact... Reparations might have to cover a whole network of structures of inequality and repression. Embedded in the American experiment from the beginning, 
to ensure the second-class status of black Americans. It's slavery, yes, but it's also the Electoral College. It's redlining. From Jim Crow and beyond to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Ooh, it's like I don't even know you anymore, but you're not wrong. Here, son, let me sing it to you. The racism and the white supremacy deep in everything. From Minneapolis down to Memphis, Tennessee, that's where my people hang. Racist institutions down on our backs, always the same. Boy, you can't vote if you don't pay the Patrols become the bubble. That's the American way. The racism and the white supremacy. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Oh, that's America's defining legacy. It's hard on an old Negro. Back Beyonce. Who's next? Our next exhibit is an interview with Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, representing the fine people of the Texas 18th since 1995. You know her. You love her. And she's been on the front lines of the fight for reparations. She, too, has something to say about the pushback against recognizing slavery and discrimination and the damage done to black people in America since 1619 and against the search for and implementation of remedies. This is becoming like a theme, the perversity of the fight against justice. The freaky is real. The freaky is real. Slavery was eliminated in 1865 around the passage of the 13th Amendment. So people think that's history. That's a long time ago. And why are we still talking about it? The attitude is get over it. And so I think it's important to restate some of those very pointed facts of brutality and the inhumanity of slavery. Slaves were not people. They were not counted as one human being. What did it do to the African-American family, male, female, psychologically? What did it do to them sociologically? Where did they wind up living? Uh, What did it mean when they couldn't buy housing? How did they feel? What did it generate? Did it generate mass incarceration? What did it do to them economically? Why was the wealth gap so huge, even though there were success stories? What did it do with them politically? What did it do to them scientifically when there was a rage in the 1960s that assessed that African-Americans were inferior. That's why we, they couldn't do anything, they couldn't accomplish anything, because they were inferior, not because the laws of the land, which were clearly part of the isolating and targeting of African-Americans, 
They didn't get anything to pile away, to escrow, to deposit anywhere, to pass on. But the ongoing effects of the institution of slavery and its legacy of persistent systematic structures of discrimination on living African Americans and society in the United States. What is the qualitative and quantitative number that you put on 250 years of free labor with no workman's comp, no insurance, no pension, which literally helped build the economic genius and giantness of America. So if we look in that manner, I think that the truth will just be so real that you would have to look to reparations. You lift one boat, you lift all boats. You lift boats in America in urban pockets and rural pockets, then you lift America. The economy gets excited. Can people see that? Can they see if I lift this boat, then this boat over here will lift? Because first of all, there are too many people in the United States that live in poverty, period. But we are, African-Americans are the bulk of that poverty. So there was disparate treatment, disparate access, disparate outcomes. And for that reason, I think if there is the understanding of that pain and how it translated, if people just quietly reflect, then fear will move quickly away because then the reality of the pain will come forward and people will ask in collective voices, well, how can we resolve this? Where is the reconciliation? Where is the easing of the pain? So reparations is to fairly, calmly seek reconciliation over those painful years, more than two centuries of pain and brutality, and to address it in the 21st century. And then I think it's a question of money. And my answer to that is there are a myriad of solutions. Let us start the journey so that the academicians and groups that have are advocating for many different answers. They can all be heard. And maybe as we hear them, it will be very simple to find a way to address the response. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrantz, palbociclib. Ibrantz 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrantz and visit Ibrantz.com. Ibrantz may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrantz may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. 
Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrands, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Have you ever heard the saying, behind every great fortune, there is a green crime? Yes, I read it in The Godfather. Well, the French author Balzac said it, and a Frenchman would know. And when it comes to the riches of America, ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth? One woman has made a regular speciality of linking various blue chip. Blue chip? I say linking blue chip corporations and their fortunes to the slave trade. Her work in documenting that Aetna Insurance had written insurance policies on enslaved Africans. Oh boy, I think I see where this is going. Exactly, with the slaveholders as beneficiaries, led to Aetna making a $20 million payment to the African American community. This was the first reparations court victory in American history in 2006. Deadria Farmer-Pellman, good woman. Yes, indeed, she is. Very good woman. Now, look, boy, I saved a good story for our last exhibit. Did you ever wonder why we tip restaurant workers? You mean instead of giving them a fair wage? Right, you're catching on. But do you think it's because they want it that way? And did you ever notice that the the dark of the skin color of the staff gets? What if I told you that tipping in restaurants in this country is like the Electoral College? Just one more legacy of slavery. Here's activist Saru Jayaraman to tell us how it is. The restaurant industry has become the nation's second largest and absolute fastest growing private sector employers. And yet, despite the industry's size and its growth, it has been for decades the absolute lowest paying employer in the United States of America which is bad for a country to have the largest and fastest growing industry be the lowest paying industry. And that fact is due to the money, power, and influence of a trade lobby called the National Restaurant Association. We call it the other NRA. The other NRA's history does actually go all the way back to emancipation. The restaurant lobby and one other industry, the Pullman Train Company, wanted the right to hire newly freed slaves, black people, and continue to not pay them for their labor. 
and instead have them rely entirely on this new idea that had just come from England or from Europe at the time called tipping. And so at emancipation, tipping was mutated from being an extra or a bonus on top of a wage to becoming the wage itself. And we started with a $0 wage for tipped workers at emancipation. That became law in 1938 when everybody got the right to a federal minimum wage for the first time as part of the New Deal, except for groups of black workers, farm workers, domestic workers, and tipped restaurant workers who were told you get a $0 wage as long as tips bring you to the full minimum wage. And we went from zero in 1938 all the way up to the incredible $2.13 an hour, which is the current federal minimum wage for tipped workers in the United States of America. And as I said at the beginning, that is not the wage for a tiny sliver of the American workforce. It's the wage for the nation's largest private sector employer, largest private sector employer of women, largest private sector employer of people of color, largest employer of immigrants, largest employer of formerly incarcerated individuals, largest employer, period, gets away with legally paying its workers $2 an hour at the federal level and under $5 an hour in four out of five states all because of this legacy of slavery and the ongoing power of this trade lobby. So the restaurant industry is notoriously racially segregated. Workers of color in our industry are segregated into lower paying segments of the industry. They're in casual restaurants and fast food restaurants rather than fine dining. And even in fine dining, they tend to be bussers and runners and kitchen staff as opposed to fine dining servers and bartenders. Now, on top of that, if workers of color make it, the rare exceptions where they make it to be servers and bartenders in fine dining restaurants, there is irrefutable data that they earn less in tips because of customer bias. There is now mountains of evidence that tipping is not correlated with the quality of the service. Tipping is a reflection of all of America's biases from the inception of America. And what it is correlated with is the race and gender of the server, her eye color, her skin color, her hair color, her hair texture, her breast size, whether she's willing to touch the customer or be touched. And so that segregation of workers of color into back of house versus front of house, which is eerily reminiscent of the way in which slaves on plantations or even in reconstruction, people of color were treated and differentiated. And then on top of that, the differential in the way people are tipped, all of that results in a $5 per hour wage gap between black women and white men in our industry. That differential creates generational poverty. Depending on where you live, in 43 states in the United States, so most likely wherever you go out to eat, every time you tip in a restaurant, every worker that you are interacting with is being paid less than the minimum wage because you are tipping them. It actually gives the employer the legal permission to pay the person less because you tip them. The sub-minimum wage exacerbates the inequality and it forces all of these folks to live off of tips. The fact that people of color earn less in tips, even when they have the same positions, it is a reflection of still deep-seated racism in the United States. Even when workers of color make it 
to higher paid positions, they cannot earn the same in tips because of this racism. And so racism doesn't pay off. Playing into customer racism doesn't help. And paying people $2 also doesn't help you in the long run. What does help you is increased mobility for people of color that diversifies your clientele base and paying people a wage that allows them to stay in the restaurant and hone their craft. These are not jobs J-O-B or they don't have to be. A lot of people in this industry take great pride in this work. They consider themselves to be skilled professionals. The only reason why these skilled occupations are not seen as professions is the way they are treated and paid. And we need to see them as skilled professions if we want to both break the apartheid and raise all of these jobs to be living wage professions. Well, Whitney, did you ever think you'd be talking like Foghorn Leghorn about the Freaky Deaky show of corporate institutionalized racism. (laughs) Erica, you know, I never thought that I'd be in a minstrel show voluntarily. So uh, this is definitely a new experience for me. Well, you know what? You Not many white men have this on their resume anymore. I mean, Justin Trudeau does, though. Come on, let's be real. <laughs> there are some people who have done it. <laughs> you're doing it for a good cause. You did a great job. You're a great sport about it. So you're thinking I should put this on my resume? For which job are you thinking that I'm going to apply to? <laughs> not think. You should. Absolutely. If I were you, I'd put it at the top. I'm just glad you didn't ask me to sing. You know, I did that for you. Next time, you, you can't get out of all of it. But really, we were talking about something that's very important for people to understand that they had to twist it and mangle it and deform it in in order for it to grow as institutions. And they did. They created all sorts of heinous policies and legislation because they could create black people as the freak show. You know, what's interesting, actually, Erica, for me doing this is that it was so uncomfortable for me to actually do a minstrel show with you. Both the experience of doing it was like out there, but also then that realization, it's kind of like the leaning into owning it. Being a white person, they we always want to push aside, that's not me, that history's not me, that's not related to me. And then when you actually embody it and inhabit it, it kind of like drives something home that, yeah, it actually is me, it is my legacy. And sometimes I feel like, oh, well, are we letting white people off the hook? because they're able to like tiptoe away from it as opposed to owning it. So I felt that was kind of the experience for me in doing this. It's like, I can't tiptoe away from a minstrel show. Again, we're living in a minstrel show. If you can take away the entertainment and the blackface, but the blackface was meant to activate white persons, the exaggerated version that they thought blackness was. You know, if you think about it, black people or Africans learned English from white people. So if they were talking like that, which they weren't, they would have been talking like the people who taught them English. The other thing is that it was meant to be absurd. And, you know, we we did it sort of quick and, you know, like an entertainment thing, but they did it often to make them seem lazy and shiftless. I'm not going nowhere. And, And black people were never lazy and shiftless. If we were, we got beat. We got killed. So I think one of the biggest lies was to create this type of minstrelsy. And to this day, you hear a lot of people go, well, what about their work ethic? They're not used to working. And who do they think built America? Are they crazy? Who do they think takes the late bus and the early bus in the morning? Not just black people, people of color. We are taking care of their children, wiping their butts when they get old and are dying. 
And we are also the doctors and the scientists. So now it can't be denied that we are in every available space in America. And yet these things are so inside of the zeitgeist. Whether we see them or not, they still exist. Well, I'm looking forward to next week. Awesome. Next time on Reparations, The Big Payback, the cases for and against reparations duke it out in the boxing ring. When you look at reparations, I think everything that has touched us in a way that profited from us and we did not owes us. You don't owe me shit. All you owe me is respect and opportunity. Not only are reparations a cash payout, they need to be long-term and systemic, purposeful systems and organizations set up that puts Black people who were brought here as beast and chattel on a pathway to having their full rights and privileges recognized and enjoyed. We got to stop playing the victim. Well, this happened during slavery, so this is why this is still happening today, or why you're not, you know, and blah, blah, blah. But no, those things have changed. At some point, the descendant of someone that was brought here in 1619 deserves to steer this raggedy-ass ship through these troubled waters. That is a element of reparations that is long deserved. We want to talk about reparation again? It's real simple. We need to get in line because the Indians deserve reparation before we do. Because they were enslaved too. What this is, is a reckoning of the evil and the original sin that America did. They enslaved people who look like our black ass. This podcast is produced by Eric Alexander, Ben Arnon, and Whitney Dow. The executive producers are Charlemagne the God and Dolly S. Bishop. The supervising producer is Nicole Childers, and the lead producer is Devin Mavic-Robbins. The producer-writer is Cerise Castle, and the associate producer is Kevin Pham, with additional research support provided by Niall Bloss. The White Supremacy Swanee Song was written by Tony Perrier, piano by Robert Turner, and vocal arrangement by Sarai Brown-Alexander. Original music by DJ DTP. Reparations, the Big Payback is a production of Color Farm Media, iHeartRadio, and the Black Effect Podcast Network in association with Best Case Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives with 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional. You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, 
Oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.